Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Tonight, we're going to have some fun, because tonight, we're going to discuss some things in depth, but it's going to be very interactive. So, we're continuing our study on the mind, the arena of faith, which is based upon the book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. But when we left last time together, we ended up having a really interesting conversation up here, and I want to go back to that a little bit. And then I want to touch on some other things. But I'm going to ask you guys your opinion. We're going to really just kind of take a moment and really delve into this. Because a lot of people have different thoughts on the whole Adam and Eve issue. I have always felt that way. (laughs) So we had a chance to kind of discuss it a little bit. So we're going to discuss it a little bit more in depth so that we can really, really get into it. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, great. All right, well, the last time we were together, we're always talking about certain things. And one of the things is that knowledge and its proper use does what? It wins battles. Okay. Um, And it's not just enough to have the knowledge to win the battles. You've got to have the knowledge and use it properly or otherwise it doesn't matter. I posed three things to you the last time we were together too. Number one was what are you thinking about? Just in general, when you go to your, through your day-to-day life, and remember I said, even if you can only take maybe 15 minutes on one given day to really sit and analyze these three things, how many people did that? I know, it's okay, some people didn't. It's all right, if you didn't, you didn't. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm going to come and beat you. <laughs> so if you get a chance, still do that, because I think it's good. And these are the three things I want you to concentrate on. What are you thinking about? That's first. Who controls your thoughts? That's extremely important. Because sometimes you may think you're the one controlling them all the time, but I'll give you a perfect example. Say you're sitting at home and you're you're busy doing stuff, and especially the ladies, because we're multitaskers. So we tend to do things, do more than one thing at a time. So we could be sitting there, you could be even cooking dinner or something. And in the background you have the TV on or you have the radio playing, and they make a suggestion and they're talking about the best, (laughs) okay, I have to laugh at my own self, because everything I talk about revolves around chocolate. But anyway, they have this advertisement for the best chocolate cake. Now you had no intents on even thinking about chocolate cake, you weren't planning on having that for dessert, and before you know it, before the end of the night, you just want yourself a slice of chocolate cake. I mean, you really do. Here's the point. Who was controlling your thought at that time? Where did that thought come from? It came from the commercial. It didn't come from you. You weren't planning it. It wasn't on your menu. But that's what I mean when I say you have to ask yourself, who is controlling your thoughts? Because you don't realize it sometimes that it's outside sources that definitely is having a control on your thoughts because it's constantly bombarding you with what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And then number three, I asked, who influences your thought life? Again, you may think, oh, you're the only one that's doing it. 
but maybe not. So that's why I really encourage you to take some time to do this, whether it's this week, it's to your advantage. It's not like a homework assignment. It's not turned in if you don't do it. But I definitely suggest it's something that you really think about doing. And we spent a lot of time talking about Eve because we wanted to use, well, a precedent was established, a precedent meaning the first time it was ever done, back in the Garden of Eden when the whole thing messed up with Eve and she ate the fruit and we all know about that. And we use that because we want to see when the enemy is giving thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, we want to learn as much as we can about his game plan so that we don't easily fall prey to it. So that was why we spent so much time when it came to that. And we observed the enemy's attack on Eve and it became very clear to us that the wiles of the devil, the evil day, and the fiery darts, those are three things that we've been talking about quite a bit, are nothing more than what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Because when you think about it, that is absolutely all the enemy has. He does not have anything else that he can use against you. That's the only way he can infiltrate into your whole being and try to get something different because you really have authority over all of his ability. And here's the thing, he knows that. So that's why this is the way in which he tries to, to get us all the time. Um, now, you, if for some reason or another, you are in a situation, you really, as a believer, should never ever even contemplate that the enemy made you do anything. That's an old cliche that's been hanging around for years and Christians still to this day still kind of get away with saying that. Well, the enemy had me do it. Or the, that, all of that's a bunch of foolishness. He doesn't have you do anything. You are the one who is in control. And if you do not control your thought life by keeping it in line with the word of God, that's when you lose. That's when you have a challenge. And that's exactly what Eve, precious little Eve, <laughs> did. Um, now, I want you to turn with me to Luke's gospel. Yeah, let's turn there. Let's turn to Luke 4. But you know what? Before I have you do that, because I really want to make sure, because this will lead me back to what we did last time, and I really want to do that. Okay. We talked about more than enough to me the fact that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. I want you to keep that in mind, the word tempted, because we're going to spend some time on talking about that whole uh, interaction between the enemy and Jesus. We're going to spend a little time on that, a little bit more time than we did before. But notice the key word in any sentence dealing with that is tempted. Okay? Meaning that is the verb. That is something that happened. And it's important that you think of it that way, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Now, we already talked about how precious little Eve, well, <laughs> I shouldn't talk about it sarcastically, but Eve and Adam really because we have to because we're going to delve into their story again both of them all they had to do was to keep their concentration 
on the Most High God. They didn't have radio, they didn't have TV, they didn't even have other people at the time. They just had all the animals and all the trees and all of the stuff. They didn't have anything else to grab their attention. So the only person that they were really fellowshipping with other than themselves was the Most High God. So just think about that. We're trying to live our lives and do everything right and we are just so excited that the day will come when we can communicate with him, when we can worship with him, when we can have communion with them. Well, this is all they were doing, and that's all that they really had to do. So the point is, Eve was somewhat naive, we would say, in, in, in these times. She really had a pure heart because she didn't have any outside influences. All she really had to do was just listen to what God said. And that's true of Adam. Now, the interesting part about Adam is that we know he was super smart. Anytime he named all of the animals, all of the trees, all that there is, he named it down to the little insects. He gave them their names and they still have the same names today and will forever have those names. So he was super smart that he could do that. So if he was so smart that he could do that, why is it that he was not smart enough not to commit high treason? That's the ultimate question that we could sit up and go on and on to try to find out. Now, one of our brothers came up with a very good idea, which I, when I think about it, the more I think about it, I don't necessarily agree, but his idea was that Adam wanted to be with Eve, and he wanted to be with Eve so much that he was willing to go ahead and eat this fruit so he could remain with Eve, who had already eaten it, even though he knew that he was being dis disobedient to the Most High God. But now, I could go along with that, but to a point for this reason. If his heart was pure because the only fellowship he had was that with God, then he wouldn't have been put in a position to be thinking with other parts of his whatever, heart, body, anything else, to even want to be with Eve. Eve was just another subsidiary, another part of him. He shouldn't have had those feelings of, oh, Eve is, you know, the most wonderful person, or Eve is what he wouldn't have even been looking at her that way. So, eh, I don't necessarily, I, I don't I can't just totally buy that, that that's why he did it. But, you know, you guys think on that, because I'm going to ask you to see if you agree. Like, maybe that's what you think or why you think he went ahead and did that. I don't know. Yeah, that's what my point is. I don't think that, I don't believe that they were. So, that's something that we have to um, discuss a little bit further. But, anyway, sometimes we think, that Jesus doesn't know what we have to deal with. Because that's another thing. We really don't. Because we still are looking at Jesus as this character somewhere. We know that he's sovereign. We love him. We know that he died on the cross for us. But we still think of him as somewhere far and distant. We still have not 100% gotten the fact that we're joint heirs with him. That he lives within us. We like we do and we can sit up there and try to say that we do but we really have not. Just like for instance we all know that we were born with a brain praise God. That's a wonderful thing but do you realize that a large portion of our brain is never used? We don't even utilize it. We only use a small portion of it. So I say that to say the same way that we only utilize a small portion of our brain we are only able to grasp and absorb and comprehend just how much Jesus is within 
us and how much we are truly joint heirs with him. We're only grasping it a little bit, not wholeheartedly. And until we, and I think we should grow and grow to get to the point where we can, because then we'll have even more and more victory. It's just like, if you go to the market on a Friday and you buy your food for the week, you go to the market, you buy whatever it is, you come home, you put it in your refrigerator in your cupboards, and if you decide that you want to get up on Tuesday morning and make yourself some oatmeal and have a cup of tea, you don't feel bad about going in your house and, and doing that, right? Because those are things that you purchased, those are things that belong to you, and you could go ahead and do that, right? Now, would you feel the same way about knocking on the door of a neighbor two doors down and just walking in their house and then going in and making yourself the same thing. You would feel a little awkward with that, right? Because you don't feel as if you have the right. Well, here's what I'm submitting to you. A lot of us as believers don't recognize that we've already been bought and paid for. We have the right to everything that's in the word of God for us. We're not going down to the neighbor asking, can we go in there and have thus and so? It's already been done for us, but we we don't still quite get that. So we keep tiptoeing around and we're just hoping and we're just happy with whatever little morsel we can get and we think it's okay. It's not what God intended. He wants you to have it all. But you've got to see that first. But the enemy is never going to keep telling you that. He's going to keep putting out everything through everything around you. TV and you've heard about this whole Facebook thing that's out in the news now that everybody was so precious and set up there and gave all that information and hmm and now everybody's got to second guess it but here's what's even more important everything that is that was put out there on Facebook is subject to people being able to infiltrate and have an effect on you. The key that I'm making here is it's just another little way that the enemy is getting thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to people. He will do it to you all the time. And here's the other thing with the enemy. He is on his job 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, he never stops. It never stops. So we don't get the luxury of ever forgetting that and just get lax and think, oh, no, we can't. We have to understand we're constantly in a battle or in a warfare with him. But the point is Jesus knows what we're dealing with with the enemy because he dealt with him the same way we're dealing with him. And he had to use the same tactics that he's telling us to use. It wasn't that he was sovereign and the son of God when he walked the earth so that he could just speak to the enemy and he just be slain and fall down and do it. Uh-uh. He had to do the exact same things he's telling us to do. So that's where we need to be encouraged to realize, <clears throat> okay, he did it. So then if he did it and he lives within us, see, that's the part that really, once I knew that, I got super excited <clears throat> because it was like, I didn't have to just kind of figure this out on my own. It's like he's within me. He'll help me figure it out. And if I'm not quite sure, he's, it's like, think if you're a little kid and you're on the playground and you have people bullying you, but you know you have a six foot five brother, okay, who also goes to the school, who will come and knock anybody out. You know how you are. You're a little bit different. You're a little bit, you know, you're almost a little bit too mouthy because you know your brother's going to handle it. Well, guess what? The whole Godhead is living within you, so you don't think they can handle whatever you're facing? Please. So once you realize that, that also gives you just a little bit more, you know, 
You can stretch your stuff and feel good about it, knowing, you know what? He's got me, and I'm going to win. So I'm, at least that's how I feel about it. I don't know about anybody else. So one of the things that we discussed was when Jesus encountered Satan during his wilderness temptation. Remember I said hold on to that word temptation? There is evidence to support the proposition that the wiles of the devil, the evil day, and the fiery darts are really thoughts, ideas, and suggestions and it's really not any kind of mystery. We have always thought this about Jesus, that he's son of God, so all he has to do is wave his hand over the situation. But no, he had to use the same armor that we have to use. Here is, well, we all know this, so I don't really think I have to go over this, but if you ever need to remember thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, you can think of the word tis. Like, that's an old-fashioned term. It's not used that much anymore. Uh, there actually used to be an old hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, which means it is. You know, so if you just think of tis, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. But if you're more modern and, you know, you're not going to remember that, just think of sit. It's just the back. It's the opposite of suggestions, ideas, and thoughts. Either way, come up with an acronym that you can constantly know. Okay, I have to think about this because these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions or suggestions, ideas, and thoughts are constantly coming my way because, again, you have to have the discernment, okay, to be able to figure out what your next step is, what it is that you should do, and don't fall so easily into a trap, okay? Now, now is when I want you to go to Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verse number three. Luke 4, verse number three. And let me know when you're there. Okay, great. Now, in the New King James Version, it says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. The Living Bible says, Satan said, If you are God's Son, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And then the message says, the devil playing on his hunger. Now see, I like the message because it's giving us exactly what he was doing. He knew that Jesus was hungry because he had no food for 40 days. That's a long time. Some of us can't make it through four hours. No, I'm serious. 40 days is a long time where you have no food. And remember, he was not operating as the son of God in deity. He was operating as the son of man. A man walking around, he was hungry. So, of course, this is what the devil was doing, playing on his hunger, okay? And he gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Now, here's one of the things I want you to realize. See how in all of these translations, he is he's taunting Jesus with, Turn this into bread. Command this to be done. For all of that to be done, what was going to have to be used? Words. So the point is, even Satan is showing us and revealing that he knows that there's power in words. Because he was taunting him with, yes, go ahead and use your words and turn this into bread. Okay, so that ought to encourage us to know that there's power in every word that we speak. And we need to realize that. So what picture though, and this is what we talked about before, and this is what we're going to spend some time on tonight. The picture that's usually conjured up in your mind when the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, doesn't it conjure up an image 
of the devil speaking directly to Jesus, like how we're having a conversation now. Like you, it conjures up like, okay, here's the devil, he's standing here and he's talking to Jesus. Wouldn't that be a logical picture? Okay. When someone speaks to us, they usually approach us and they speak to us face to face, correct? Okay. So that's the way the scripture puts it. And the devil said to him, but here is the interesting part. And here's the real key to the whole thing. If the devil would appear to Jesus in a physical way. Now let's just think about this. You don't have to be real spiritual. And you can figure this one out. Jesus was there when the devil was cast out of heaven. So don't you think he knew who he was? I mean, he didn't even have to be acting as the son of God, but don't you think he would just have some idea that this person who's standing in front of him is the enemy? I mean, doesn't that seem like that could be so? Okay. So, if he would know immediately who he was, it wouldn't have been a temptation. Because here's the thing. If the enemy is telling you to quit your job, okay, now you know you usually use your job as a form of income to pay your bills, buy food, take care of yourself. If he's standing up in front of you and it's clear he's the enemy, you know, he comes, he might have enemy written across his chest, I don't know. But if he's standing there and he tells you that, wouldn't you say, well, wait a minute, okay, I, I, no, I'm just not going to do that, okay? It would be obvious that you wouldn't do it. So you wouldn't be tempted, okay? But then again, if... You're sitting there and it's like, well, I believe I'm supposed to quit my job. I think maybe the Lord is telling me that because maybe he has something better. You know, you're going back and forth with it. You're not sure. That's when it becomes a temptation because you don't really 100% know. So the point being here is it says through everything, everything that we've read, all of these weeks we spent time on this, that Jesus was tempted. He couldn't have been tempted if he knew that it was the enemy that he was dealing with. So therefore, it was the thought, the idea, and the suggestion of if you are the son of God. If the same way he did it with Eve is the same way he did it with Jesus. It's the same way he does it with you and I. Got that? Oh, I thought that, look, I, to me, <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was really good. I thought it was really good. So, but that's the key. It wouldn't have been a temptation. So that's why I had you to hold on to that word. And whenever he does things like that to you, it has to be something that's done the same way or he couldn't fool you. Because we don't purposely just fall into stuff. I mean, that's not, I mean, nobody's that way. We all are trying to do the best that we can. So you don't just sit and invite the enemy to just come give you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and you just mess up. I mean, nobody does that. Okay, so the point is, he's constantly trying to figure out a way that he can fool you and he can trip you up. Whenever the enemy comes, the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions will always sound as if they are in your own voice. If a stranger calls you, now this is a good way to think of it, if a stranger calls you on the phone 
It's a stranger because it's not a voice you're familiar with, right? I mean, that's what makes it a stranger. And right away, you usually your antenna go up and you just start questioning. But if it's someone you know or someone that you have fellowship with on you know, a regular basis, you kind of always know them. They don't even have to call and identify who they are. Um, for instance, if Stan or my children call me, they don't have to go, uh, hi, honey, this is me, or I already know who he is. You know what I mean? I know his voice. When my kids call, there are five of them. I know every single one of them before they even say, you know, too much of anything. The point is, I know their voices. However, if somebody calls you and you do not know who they are, you automatically Put yourself on alert. Now, some of you are going to go, yeah, no, no. I, everybody who calls me, I know. And if somebody else calls, it doesn't bother me. Okay, I got you. Let somebody call who's a bill collector. Now, some of y'all are going to sit up there and act like you have never had a bill collector call you. Praise God. I have, okay? When you have, oh, you just don't know. Yes, I have. I have experienced it, okay? And they say things like, this call may be recorded <laughs> for the purpose of collecting a debt and then they go on with whatever else they're going to say. Once they say that, you not only do your antenna go up, you sit straighter in your chair, okay, because you know I got to be correct. I have to make sure whatever I'm saying is right. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? So the point is you just handle that whole situation differently. You're not cavalier just sitting there like, oh, okay, somebody call. Well, this is a good point because when the devil comes, he has to arrange or shroud. I think shroud is the word that I like. Um, the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And he does it so that it sounds familiar to you. And shroud is another word for, because, well, sometimes I think this is when, because my father was a mortician, I think of words like shroud. Um, but veil, it's like, you know, it, you could see something, but a veil, if you have to look through it, you don't see it 100% clearly, okay? Well, that's how the enemy comes at you. And the more seasoned you are, the more intense the shrouding or the more intense the veil because he's kind, he's trying to constantly trick you. I mean, that's his whole point. And that's why it's so easy because he does it in a way that he's shrouding or putting a veil on whatever his thought and idea and suggestion is, but he's doing it in a way where we believe it's, we, he, it's our own voice. So we start taking responsibility for it because we think we thought about it. Like, we think that we thought about that chocolate cake after the end of the meal that we cooked. You know, in the beginning when I was talking about that, when you heard about it, after a while we start to think, well, you know, I do have a hankering. Oh, man, that really makes me sound old. I really do. <laughs> I really do have a desire for some chocolate cake. You know, I was thinking about that before. And before you know it, you go on and you have the chocolate cake. When in fact, it was never your idea, but you start to believe that it is. And you just go right on ahead and you have your chocolate cake. But that's why it's easy to get trapped into accepting what he says because we think, I thought of that. We think of it all the time. No, I thought of that. It was my idea. You know, and the part that's so cute is some people will sit up and tell you, oh yes, it was my idea to do thus and so. Then when the thing messes up, they're very sorry. They went around bragging about how it was their idea. Okay, so that's something else to think about. Uh, he is 
the great deceiver. He's very crafty. He's very clever. I think sometimes a mistake that believers tend to make is we know that Jesus did all that he did for us some 2,000 years ago. And we're so grateful for that. But we forget that the enemy has been around for the same length of time. And he is very good at what he does. And we can't discount him. And sometimes people do. They get to a point, well, I don't, you know, I don't have to read all that. I, you know, I've already heard that. I've heard that message. I don't need to hear that message again. I don't need to read that. You know, I read my Bible. I get up, I have my devotion, you know, like they're doing God some big favor. I have my devotion. You know, I spend a half an hour. You, you expected me to do more? I don't need to do more than that. I go to church. I don't need... Okay. And the enemy is sitting there like, okay, great. Because notice it always says he seeks whom he may devour. So you are a perfect person. And he must just sit up there and go, oh, let me just add that little demon over here and put that little minion over here. Because this person, yeah, they think they got it going on. And no, and, and that happens more often than you really have. You just, you wouldn't even believe it. But it's clear that in the case of Eve, poor little Eve, uh, did not guard her mind. And as a result, she allowed the enemy to plant all of those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to which she yielded to them. And she lost the war as a result of it because she didn't do what? She didn't use her armor. Now she knew what to do and didn't do it. It's not enough to simply have the word because if you don't use the word, you might as well not have it. I mean, you know, it's just like ladies, if we have all of these wonderful appliances, hair dryers, curling irons, and all the rest of this stuff that's out, but we get up and just go, mm, I don't feel like doing all that, and just, you know, come out the house, we might not ex have the, the exact, it, it might not go so well. You know, you might end up having a bad hair day just because, eh, maybe you should have done something a little different. And then for all of our wonderful sisters who are going natural, which is a wonderful thing that's out now, I think it's, I love it, I'm natural, that's great. You still need to put that moisturizer and put some stuff up in there. As you may find, natural is not all that you <laughs> wanted it to be. It still needs a little help. Okay, so again, <laughs> again, these are things that we need to do. Now let's spend some time talking about precious little Eve. Because this to me is very, very important. So turn with me to Genesis. And we're going to look at Genesis 2. Oh, are you kidding me? Okay, Genesis 2. Oh my goodness. Verses 7 through 9. Because here was the question. Because Baltimore brought this up last week. I started meditating on that and thinking about that. Because here's my deal. God, well, let's just do it this way. Because here's my, I, I, I'm a little concerned about this whole thing with Adam. <laughs> with Eve. I just, it's, it's got me. And it's had me for a while. So this is what we're going to discuss and you all are going to give me your thoughts on it too. So let's go to Genesis 2. We're going to read verses 7 through 9. And if we look at it, you can read it. Go ahead out of the New King James Version. I'm going to share it out of the Amplified because as I said all the time, the Amplified is filled with all the qualifiers. So starting with verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed, here's the qualifier, that is created the body of man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, qualifier, an individual complete in body and spirit. Okay, hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. That's very, very important. Okay. 
And the Lord God planted a garden, oasis in the east, in Eden, delight, land of happiness. And he put the man whom he had formed, created there. And in that garden, the Lord God caused to grow from the ground every tree that is desirable and pleasing to the sight and good, suitable, pleasant for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the ex experiential knowledge, recognition of the difference between good and evil. Okay, so we know this. Very good. That's been established. Drop down in the same chapter to verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, this is out of the New King James Version, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And, of course, in the Amplified, it breaks it down a little bit more because it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of knowledge, recognition, because that's what the knowledge was established to be, of good and evil you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. Okay? And then the message puts it just short. God commands the man you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. I mean, okay, so that's really, really clear. So we see that God made the commandment, and he made the commandment who? To whom? Who did he make the commandment to? Okay, great. So now you're in the same chapter. Let's go down to 18 through 24. And I'm going to share this with you out of the Amplified. These are verses 18 through 24. Now the Lord God said, It is not good or beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was suitable, a companion for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept... He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, fashioned, formed into a woman. And he brought her and presented her to the man. Then Adam said, now this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so this is when Eve shows up on the scene. But now check this out. I don't care what translation you look at, and I looked at many. The very next verse starts in chapter 3. 
Okay? And it says, now the serpent was more crafty. And this is, I'm sorry, I'm reading this out of the Amplified. The serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall eat from any tree of the garden? Now, check this part out. Notice that he specifically asked her, God has said. When was she supposed to have heard what God has said? If, in fact, we just read that he just created her, okay, and now all of a sudden the enemy is there asking her, how does she hear what God has said? Now, Minister Scott said, and I've heard other people say, that Adam, being such a good husband, told her. That's when I really want to slap Adam upside his head. Because unlike... Although he committed high treason for all of us, what kind of husband is that? Okay, that you're going to repeat this to her and then put her in harm's way as far as I'm concerned. So Adam, I'm telling you, when I meet him, we're going to have some conversations. (laughs) But the point being is, just keep that in mind. He specifically asked her that. He didn't say, did you hear or anything? And since we know that the enemy knows what's going on, because this is what I submit to you too, there is a spirit realm and there is the three-dimensional realm in which we live. So why should we not think that the enemy did not hear exactly what God said? Okay? And know exactly what was said. So that's something to think about. But anyway, he asked her that question. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. Check out what she's saying. God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it. Okay, let's pause here. Now we already read what God said. He never said anything about touching it. So now this, because the way I study is kind of funny. The first thing I'm thinking of is, okay, if Adam told her this, okay, if this is how she found out from Adam being this good husband and telling her this, did he embellish it? When he told her and added, don't touch it either, you know, to try to maybe, like how you do with the child, you know, uh, if you go out and you have sex before your marriage, you'll die. You know, I mean, something without giving them the facts, but you think you're going to rein them in. Like, was he doing that? But then again, his mind hadn't changed. So why would I think he did that? You see what I'm saying? I mean, do you follow what I mean? Why would I think he would be trying to manipulate her by doing that? So my question is, where did she get that information? Was she the one who was trying to be slick and all of a sudden just add something to it? Where did that come from? This is like the first account in scripture where we can see either exaggeration, manipulation, total confusion, or a flat out lie. So which one do you think it is? <laughs> right. That's what she's saying. She's saying that God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it. Otherwise, you will die. But that's not what God said. So where is she getting that from? Any ideas? Okay, so I guess you guys are thinking about it too. But isn't that interesting? 
I thought that was extremely interesting. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. That is, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. <laughs> now, here's another question, because this we talked about last week, so I want your opinion on this. Why do you think that when the serpent decided to approach them on this subject, that he went to Eve? Why do you think he went to Eve, and why didn't he just go to Adam, since he knew that the commandment had been given to Adam? She had influence on the man. Okay, so you're saying it's because she had influence on the man. That's part of it. That's part of it. Anybody else? Do you have any idea of why you think? Yes. I believe it's because he knew that Adam heard directly from God. Mm -hmm. So he would, I, I think, that he could have uh, imagined that Adam would be less likely to be deceived. Okay. From God. Okay. That's a good point. Yes. Mm hmm Okay. Yes. Because she was the weaker person. Well, what made her weaker? Because remember, back in the very beginning, if we go back in Genesis, it says that God made male and female. There was no, there was no assignment of weakness at that point. They were equal. So why would she be considered weaker? Not during this time, no. All this that we've just read, it's not saying anything about her being weaker. It's just that she was created from Adam's rib. That came, so she came after the fact. Yes, Ms. Karen. My problem is when she told the devil that even if they touch it, they're not, they can't touch it. My question was, where did she get that they couldn't touch it? Because they had to touch the tree in order to tend to it. Mm -hmm. in order to water it and prune it and do whatever they needed to do if you're in the garden. So where did she get that we can't even touch it? <laughs> well, that was the question we asked before. Now here, because that still goes back to where do you think she got this information about the tree? You think Adam told her? Okay. Nothing's off it. We're no, is it possible that when God made her, that spiritually? Oh, do I love you. Here's what I think. <laughs> is that exactly going along what I was thinking? Because here's the thing Adam, when he was first made, Actually, if you really go into more study, he was actually called Adam, not Adam. But the point is, he was, he could do everything within himself. He was both male and female all in one. So here's what I think. And this is why when we were reading this, um, I told you to hold on to where we're talking about 
Yeah, how the meaning it was part of the spirit. The spirit was there is the point. So what I'm believing or something that I'm thinking about, even though everything else you said makes sense, I'm not disagreeing with it. I believe that when he separated Eve, Eve was still present in Adam when the commandment from God was made. So therefore, I do believe in the spirit realm, she heard what was said. And now, I don't know if all of a sudden she became dumb or something, and this is why she was confused and, and didn't understand it. I mean, I don't want to think that because we're not dumb, so I don't, I don't know. But I do think, and I agree with you, that that's where she originally heard it. She literally did hear it. But then when she, you know, she came out and was presented to Adam as a female and all the rest of it, yeah, that's how she would know. Because here's the thing. Nowhere is it telling us that Adam told her. So it seems like, why do we just assume Adam told her? I mean, we could assume either one, technically. Yes. So I agree um, that in the spirit, but it's kind of like the word God. We, are embod we embody all things in the spirit, but then we learn. So um, even though God hadn't given the hierarchy, it still exists. God was a Oh, no. We're going to show you where the hierarchy came. No. He did, here's what happened. No, let's skip ahead. Oh, because I got to get this in because I thought this was precious. I love what happened here. This helped me. It answers a whole lot of stuff. Go to Genesis 3. You're in Genesis 3. Let's skip down to 9 through 16. This is when the whole hierarchy became real. Thanks to precious little Adam. Oh! He's so cute. Okay, so if we look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And this is out of the Amplified. He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled and deceived me, and I ate from the forbidden tree. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed offspring and her seed she you, he shall fatally bruise your head which is why we can kill a snake but you know crush his head and he dies and you shall only bruise his heel to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you will give birth to children yet your desire and longing will be for your husband and he will rule with authority over you and be responsible for you. So had they not eaten that, she was when she was created, they were equal. But because of what she did, that's where the hierarchy or the point of the husband now being over her originated. So we can thank precious little Eve. But here's the thing. The men didn't get away with it. This is the other part I like because it says, and he will rule with authority, okay, great, over you and 
friends, be responsible for you. So therefore, even more weight was now put on him because anything, if you are married, okay, we all work together as one unit. We as ladies are supposed to be helpmeets to our husbands is true, but they are responsible to take care of us. So they are responsible for a roof over our head, clothes on our back, food in our mouths, and as far as I'm concerned, the desires of our heart because we delight ourselves in the Lord. <laughs> but whatever. All I'm saying is they got that added too. So it's not just like, you know, they can just rule over us like, you know, we're, uh-uh. So that part, that, that last little part, I love that. That meant a lot. I, I just really like it. So to your point, yes, it's true, but the hierarchy actually didn't even have to happen until after this precious fruit was eaten. What? It was what words? What were we reading in here in regards to saying um, something about his seed, Satan's seed? Like, okay, I don't know what you're speaking of, so you got to be a little more clear. What are you, what, where are you at? <laughs> so I can help you. I don't even know. Oh, the 15th verse of Genesis. Genesis 3, the 15th verse, and I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring, and her seed, meaning between Satan's, Satan and the woman. In other words, that's how come nobody likes snakes in the sense that a snake can actually poison us. They're, you know, we're not in a friendly, nobody says, oh, I mean, some people have pet snakes, but most people don't. You know, most people are kind of cautious when it comes to snakes because they can, you know, really hurt us. Right. Okay. Yes. And I have to say, deception. Who taught Eve to lie? Who taught Adam to lie? Nobody taught Adam to lie. There's no Adam to lie. No Adam to lie. No Adam to lie. No Adam to lie. Why do they lie? Well, I'm a Christian today. Yeah, why do they lie? I'm a Christian to lie, to die, to lie, to lie, to lie, to lie, to lie. I agree with you, sir. I agree. Well, this is true, but this is why we have to make sure that we don't do that. That we are, you know, that we set an example and that we try very, very hard not to get caught up in doing things like that. And I am way out of time. So for that reason, see, you guys just sat there. You didn't even get to talk that much. I thought when you were really going to talk a lot, I guess I talked too much for all of us. But anyway, every head back. Our hope is-